This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Well, welcome to Ashland First United Methodist Church. So uh, this is the last week in a season that we've roughly been calling T-S-E-G-O-H, which is short for, you said it, not me. There's something else going on here. Hang on a second. Here we go. Uh, When I originally thought about this season uh, a couple months ago, I envisioned a couple different ways it could unfold, and in light of the political climate in our country, in light of a lot of the discourses we've been having with each other, with our neighbors, and even in this, own, in this congregation, uh, that um, discourse and dialogue, I think, for me, took a, a, a much-needed shift, and I felt like it's been a, a good and rich time to be able to dialogue with each other. I hope you feel the same way. One of the things that came up multiple times over the last three weeks um, and showed up in conversations that I had with people outside of this service was, what do we do with the conversations that we need to have with our neighbors? You can replace the word neighbor with sister-in-law, spouse, co-worker, Parents. I speak personally from my own life, and and I'm sure many of you can resonate. But there are a lot of ways in which uh, we experience a form of differentness, especially in this season. And sometimes that is almost so paralyzing, we just don't, don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Do you know what I mean? So I want to talk about that a little bit. And clearly I want to start by talking about the word sin. Go ahead, squirm. Squirm in your seats just a little bit. I want to talk about the word sin. It's an ugly word. When was the last time you heard a sermon that was just about sin? Some of you may have left the church for that reason. Well, let's talk about it. Let's start with this. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to try to come up with some sort of working definition of the word sin. Now, this is a word that for many of us, for many of us, it has done damage. Yeah? It's done damage in our life. We should be able to define it then. What, what are we talking about here? When we think of the word sin, what's the definition that we're using? Talk about it with your neighbors. All right. All right. Let's make sure you can hear me. My microphone was conveniently in my pocket when I first started. <laughs> that John Philip Newell just... Yeah. All right. Let me hear what you got. Uh, if you want... Uh, 
this might be easiest to pass around a microphone. We got Betsy over here. Mr. Fugit over here. The question was, how would you define sin? No. There we are. There it is. Boom. Boom. Edie and I agreed right off the bat. <laughs> we did. Uh, it is anything that separates you from God and the love of God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Originally, it's an archer's term. Yeah. Missing the mark. Yeah. Yeah, it comes from a, it comes from the Greek word hamartia, which is a, a word used in the Greek world for archery. Uh, you miss the mark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sally said, "It's what's done without love." It's done without love. Does that mean uh, things done in fear or done in confusion? Um, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty much like John Fugit, uh, missing the mark, <laughs> yeah. but I bring it more up to date. They're like waypoints in a GPS, and the waypoints are Jesus' teachings. Sure. And when you get off the GPS waypoint going to, to your destination, you hear recalculating, recalculating, <laughs> and you have... And, and then, and please ask again later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you've gone slightly askew. Yes, and using Jesus' teachings as a, as yeah. a base for yeah. destination. Mary, Van Wessup. Yeah, five Marys start to respond. Along with what Betsy was saying, we were talking about being out of alignment with God, but to me the danger is when someone or group of someone's prescribes what is a sin and if I or anyone allow yeah. that to become the sin then then am I going to feel out of alignment I, that's where it gets tricky I think if yeah. be it a religion a group says this is a sin right. if you do this yeah and a lot of us have probably experienced that yeah, yeah. group one says this is the this is the pattern that we need to follow. Group two says this is the transgression. Um, it's also a judgment. How so? Say more. Yeah, same thing. But missing the mark, or I judge that you okay, did okay. this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you judge that I did that. Sure, sure. And also the fact that um, accepting that we're human beings. Okay. And we make mistakes. Yeah. But not calling them sin and condemning ourselves. We do a lot of, sure. through the church, sure. condemning ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I'm this terrible person. Yeah. No, 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 no. I made a mistake, and I can go back and repair it. Yeah, yeah. And the separation from God, I go down this wrong path, like Gene's saying, thank God you get the, re the, the you know, recalculating thing, yeah. and you got to pull back. Yeah. But it happens, is my point. Sure. It's, it's normal mm -hmm. in, in this human life. Yeah. I liked um, what John came up with, and, and he said, no matter what your definition of God, sin is putting yourself before God. Okay, yeah. Yeah, part of that's ego, yeah. Let's, let me do just a couple more. I don't want to, are we good? Something that came up in yeah. our group was mm -hmm. giving up. 
giving up. Giving up. Say more. So well, a definition of sin would be giving up. Do you, do you want to say more? You pass it off to someone else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pass it off to somebody else. Who could describe it from. Uh, yeah. Um, I think giving up is. I think giving up is a sin in itself because you just have to keep going. You have to keep trying, and sure. if you give up, it's really easy to get down there Absolutely. and not get back up. And right. then you're just kind of pitying yourself and not really. Right giving it all you have, like yeah. God does to you. Yeah, so you're even so. saying there's an important larger context there. So it's right. giving up in the process of, of doing good, or where's uh, giving up in, in the process of loving, right? It's one of the things you said, Sally. Um, let, me offer, let me offer another definition. It doesn't have to be right. It's another definition. Um, it comes from a a great theologian who deserves to be called great just because of the caliber of his name. It's Cornelius Plantinga. Um, just a, yeah. So Cornelius Plantinga defines sin this way. Sin is a culpable disturbance of shalom. I wish you could see what I just said, what I just saw. About 50 of you just went like this. Yeah. So let that cover over, you, cover over you for just a minute. Sin as a culpable disturbance of shalom. Culpable disturbance of shalom. Let's look at a couple of those words. So the first is culpable. Culpability. Responsibility. You, fault could be another one. You played a role in it somehow. Of course, the word culpability can go multiple ways. It could be because of some sort of uh, role you played. It could also be because it could also be because of a role that you did not play. Uh, one of my great mentors, Thomas Merton, has a book called "Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander." That's about culpability. It's a reflection on the ways that he's just kind of stood on the side, and he's now offering reflections on a world. A culpable disturbance of shalom. The other word there is shalom. Now, shalom is an interesting word because we use it all the time in this specific church. We sing a benediction song called shalom every single week. In a lot of ways, shalom gets described as what? Peace. Yeah. That's part of it. The root word for shalom in Hebrew, which is shalom, uh, is is from the word for wholeness. You see, shalom isn't just addressing peace, and especially in a modern-day context where peace has become to be a representative or maybe a trademark or a brand almost on its own. Shalom is going at something much, much, much deeper. See, shalom is about wholeness. Shalom is, of course, a word that's used to describe what God is doing here in the world. Again, it's not just about appeasing different people. It's about wholeness, and wholeness is always about those who are opposites, those parts of our world that are either opposed to each other, they're dual, they're separate. Wholeness is bringing it all back together again. 
So when you hear that word shalom used throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, again, it's not just saying peace. It's addressing a larger context, a larger narrative that is at work about bringing all those different parts of us that have been fragmented or separate, bringing it all back together. Here's what I like about this definition. Even when we use the word hamartia, which is just a Greek word that was used to the word for sin, which is missing the mark, even when we use the word missing the mark as a definition for sin, it still just functions as a way of talking about what you did or did not do. You tracking with me? This is what many of us have kind of repelled against most of our lives, that when we're talking about sin, even when someone says like, oh, but, but don't worry, it's not a bad thing, it's still being held in that context of, but, you know, there's a sucker punch coming here because you did something or you did not do something. Now, the problem with that is that's not the story that's told in the scriptures. The story of sin doesn't begin, or sorry, the story of us doesn't begin with Genesis 3, where sin is introduced. It begins with Genesis 1, where we're created in the image of God. You see, the idea of sin being described as a sort of culpable disturbance of shalom is inviting us to consider the larger story that's here. The idea that God has created a world that's meant to be whole, and each and every one of us, in our own ways, have in some way been responsible for that not being the case. Now, you can understand the context here. I'm not trying to say that, oh, you've now missed the mark and you're going to hell. No, no, no. I'm saying there's a, I believe in a world where those parts of us that have been separated, those relationships that have been separated, those relationships between us and creation that have been separated, I believe in those being able to come back together again. And I know that even in my own life, there are some ways that I have contributed to its separateness. An easy example would be the fact that when I think of shalom, the wholeness, there is no destruction between humanity and creation. Would you agree? Humanity is not abusing of creation. And yet I know that I am culpable I am responsible in many, many ways of treating creation poorly. One, I drive a car. It's just not that great. Now, unless I have a Prius, <laughs> uh, I've, I've used like hairspray before, right? You know, I haven't checked the ingredients that I'm using in my laundry detergent. Now, I, these are incredibly small things. And I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm just saying there is no one here that doesn't have some sort of responsibility, some sort of culpability in the ways that uh, we're not experiencing shalom. So again, shalom as a culpable disturbance of shalom. And I also like that middle word, disturbance. It doesn't mean that you've broken it. it doesn't mean you've scared shalom away and it's never coming back. It just means you've disturbed it a little bit. That could even be a conversation right? How many of you have had a conversation and you walk away and you, you yourself feel unhealthy? Culpable disturbance of shalom. 
Let me read this, let me read this passage for you. This is from uh, the book for the letter to the Ephesians. So it's Ephesians chapter 4. So this is Paul. Paul's a missionary, a pastor, writing to a community in the city of Ephesus. And this is what Paul says. Uh, we must no longer be children like those who get tossed to and fro and blown by every new wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way. So then, putting away falsehood or falseness, those things that aren't true about us, putting those things away. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. I thought about that one line over and over and over again for the last couple of weeks. Be angry, but do not sin. We've addressed it here on Sunday morning. There is this palpable tension in our country. There's a lot of anger as well. I think a lot of the anger is good. And thus I'm reminded of that line. Be angry, but do not sin. You know, there, there's a lot of similarities between the world that Jesus lived in and the world that the writers of the New Testament lived in and the world that we're in now. A lot of similarities. And yet, I cannot find a single reference, a single instruction, a single charge from Jesus to go stick it to Herod. to go to Jerusalem. Now, as a side note, because a couple of you are squirming, marches like the, the women's march, a beautiful expression of shalom. Yeah? All I'm pointing out is that in a world where there was a lot of oppression going on and there was a tyrannical power and people were asking questions like, how do we respond? What do we do? How should we behave? How should we think? There's no message from Jesus that says, we really, we really need to go to war against Herod. And do you know what was offered instead? A challenge to talk with your neighbors. Not once, not twice. Time and time and time and time again. 
You see, when people brought up the conversation with Jesus about how difficult things were at the present moment, the way Jesus always responded was, what conversations are you having with your neighbors? What conversations are you having with your neighbors? Here's what I think is so interesting about this. This is a confession from my own life. In so many ways over the last couple weeks, I have felt this fervor deep inside of me. How can I fight? How can I be angry and not sin? How can I help be a part of a, of a growing tide and a growing movement? Like many of you, I, I felt this urge to go like, buy a plane ticket, go to Washington, D.C., and just march my little heart out. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to have a conversation with my uncle. <laughs> How interesting that in so many ways, in so many ways, I give off this impression that I'm even willing to put my own life at risk. I want to be on the face of this new movement. I don't want to put my relationship at risk, though. A relationship, and I'm sure many of you will agree, that is not as good as it could be. It's not like I'm trying to keep something intact that is just a real pearl. <laughs> What's going on here? I don't want to upset the status quo. I don't want someone to be angry with me. I don't want my ego to be toyed with. I don't want someone to have a negative opinion of me. I'm happy to lay my life on the line for the rights of others, but when it comes down to myself, I'm not going to do a whole lot. I got to keep myself looking good. I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. That we are defined not by our words, but by our actions. We're defined not by our words, but by our actions. Many of us have offered a lot of words to systems and to rulers. When perhaps we need to receive the invitation to be defined by how we're acting with those we're closest to or those who are closest to us. Next door neighbor, coworker, sibling, spouse, friend. These are the conversations that are presented to us every single day. Every single day. They're right in front of us. It is perhaps where transformation, reformation, rebirth, resurrection is most needed, where it's most needed. The line from Ephesians is, put away all that falsehood, learn to speak the truth to one another, because we are of another. We are in this together. A culpable disturbance of shalom is this idea that in God's created world, even those who are separate are still somehow together. Are somehow together. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Yeah, shake your head. See, the challenge is, I cannot pretend for a moment 
that I don't know this is where it's at. This is where it's at. This, this is where the fight is at. I believe with all my heart that uh, protests will continue as they should. You should be angry. Don't sin. That is in the way that you're protesting, in all of your anger, which Jesus had anger, yeah? Jesus walks into a temple where there's business transactions going on. He disrupted something. The question is, was what Jesus disrupted a vision of shalom? No. No. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't be culpable of disturbing shalom, wholeness. Find ways to be angry while bringing people together. You know, I've felt this great divorce in my heart over the last couple of weeks when I realized how proud I was of the, of the marches, of the growing, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a progressive movement. Until I realized that what it was doing was just keeping me in contact with people I was already in contact with. The beauty of marches and protests is that many of us grow closer to each other. Part of the problem is that we were already close, and there's a whole host of other people that we won't go towards. I was trying to find some facts this week, some real facts, and... <laughs> There was, this is about as much as you'll get from me in terms of talking politics. Um, there was an executive order about banning certain people from temporarily from an entry to this country. There's a lot of different ways you can view that. The fact that I found was from, Reu was from Reuters and what I found so interesting about it was answers to the question, do you approve or not approve of this, we're just going to call it a ban. 41% okay? of people disapprove. 47% of people approve. I can find a similar breakdown in the election. Our current president didn't necessarily win the election because he had like a scratch lotto card and he scratched one off and, oh, look at that, I won. There were 47 million votes behind it. You see, the conversation that needs to happen is perhaps not in D.C., not in Washington. It's here. It's here. It's with your coworkers. It's the conversations you don't want to have. It's the places you don't want to go. So why talk about sin? 
Because when I think about those two kind of cliche, one cliched version of understanding sin, you've missed the mark, you've done something or you didn't do something, I feel horrible. And it doesn't take place in a larger picture. But the last couple weeks, I've reminded myself that in many ways, and if you are too uncomfortable to use the word sin, okay, but in many ways, I have a culpability, I have a responsibility for ways that I have disturbed God's bringing together of things. I have said, I buy into your vision of peace, but when it comes to my uncle, probably not. It's not going to happen. Mark me down as being responsible for some sort of culpability in that, because I'm not going to have that conversation. I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. I don't know what to say. We've been friends for 40 years. Not me. <laughs> There's a wink, wink to that, a couple of you. There are conversations we need to have. They're defined not by our words, but by our actions. And I think there's a great challenge for us as Christians to hear those words read to the Ephesians. Let me read them to you again. As you just think about what's next for you, think about some of the things that you're feeling right now. And if you're feeling anger, okay. And if you're feeling anger, that's okay. Frustrated, gridlocked, confused? Okay. That's what we'll work with. But here's the word to the Ephesians. So, put away whatever is false about you. Put down falsehood. And let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. We are members of one another in God's shalom. We are members of one another, of one another. So be angry but don't sin. There's something else going on here. There's something else going on here. I want you to know how, as a pastor of a church like this, specifically like this, here in Ashland, this church, this specific church, how uh, proud I have been to be able to share with my colleagues Keep in mind, I came from Kansas City. <laughs> Share with my colleagues the type of community I get to be a part of here. Like the Apostle Paul writes, every time I think of you, I give thanks for your commitment to the gospel. That doesn't mean you're out on a street corner, on a soapbox, talking about evangelical Christianity. 
But I do think in many ways, at parades and at protests, in neighborhoods and at work, in small groups, or on dinner tables, you have all played a part in trying to bring differences together, trying to keep us within the larger context of God's shalom, of a story that is still unfolding. But there is a challenge for us. There is a challenge for us that many of us are much more comfortable being defined by our words. Words to those who we can trust and words with those whom we like. But the invitation from Jesus time and time and time and time again is about how we are neighbors with those whom we're opposed to. How we go towards those that we would normally turn away from. And so I want to challenge you. I, just want, I want to challenge you in as much love as I can offer to stay present in whatever moment you're in whatever anger, fear, confusion, passion, excitement you have. But have the conversations. Be bold. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Keep the shalom of God in mind. Here's the last two things I want to say about sin. It's a perfect ending. Three things. In the Bible, there's, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, yeah. There's only one type of sin. It's the type of sin that God is forgiving. In the Bible, we're referred to not as sinners, but as saints. Saints are people who are being themselves, which includes stubbing your toe and swearing. You see, what the New Testament shows me is that sin, however we want to define that, is always just the middle word about us. See, the first word is that we're created in the image of God, not in the image of sin created in the image of God. And the middle word is, yeah, there are conversations I'm not having. There are places I don't want to go. There are ways I'm protecting myself so I don't look bad. That's the middle word. Call it sin. But the last word is that the last word hasn't been written yet. Sin is not where it ends for us. This is not where the story ends. Sin. Sin does not get to be the last word about you. Whatever you've done or you haven't done, okay. There's always a new moment. There's always a new moment. And so for us, as we head into this season together and this season individually, Keep in mind that that last word hasn't been written yet. 
God is up to something. So the question, what else is going on here? I think the answer is God. God is. And it's not done yet. 